your caboose. My caboose? Run away. Okay. Welcome to the inaugural, is that how you say it? I don't know. Okay, well it is now. Uh, joint production of a podcast, sort of. <laughs> um, so, Game the System podcast and Warp Zone podcast. Yes, or half of Warp Zone and, yes. and part of Game the System. Mm. Mm. Uh, so we have myself, Mark Bell, we have... Ben Benassic. And we have Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no Tara. No, not this time. No John. No. No everyone else that was in this room. No Dennis, Evan, Ben Campbell. Ben, yeah. Who am I forgetting? Am I forgetting anyone? No, that's seven. That's it. Okay, yeah. good. I really feel bad if I forgot someone. Yeah. Uh, so would they. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's us three because uh, we went and interviewed, or I should say you went and interviewed, yes. and we partook in interviewing Walter Day at yeah. the Koala Sanctuary in Brisbane somewhere. Yeah, the Lone Pine um, Koala Habitat Sanctuary, something or other. Mm. 2019 BPAC Showcase. Yes. Event. Event. 2019. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so he was obviously wrapped up on King of, uh, King of Kong, on Kong Off, mm. all done, um, and before he was flying back out to the US, he wanted to see some koalas. Yes. I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah, and uh, the background to the meeting, um, I've been emailing back and forth Walter over a couple of months. Um, he agreed to be a participant as part of my PhD um, topic, uh, and said, yeah, he'd love to sit down, and that'd be really good. Then I heard he was coming to Australia, so I said, well, instead of um, organising a Skype meeting, and it actually didn't work because he was travelling at the time and he was going back and forth from a trip in India. Hmm. Um, so the timing just aligned that this was going to be the moment to, to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's flying around the country, I think. He's going to another different couple of places. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he's yeah. not going back to the US. Yeah, Yeah. so he's going to stay in Australia for 11 days, um, mm-hmm. which is really awesome. He's going to, I think he's going to go to Uluru or something as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, he really graciously said that he'd love to participate in, in my study. Mm-hmm. Um and so I uh, sat down with him and then he, he mentioned um, at the awards that he thought podcasting was really important and it was actually a good um, way to capture the community's views on certain things. Mm. So as he arrived to the sanctuary, um, I, you know, I rose that with him and I said, look, I've, I've got Mark um, and Matt here from Game and System. Um, they are a podcast about the retro game community. I also run a podcast, uh, Warp Zone, that's on religion and you know taboo topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's your view? Do you want this recorded for prosperity? Do you want me just to keep snippets of it? What What would you prefer? How do you want to do it? Mm. Um, and he said, no, it's, it needs to be out there. It needs to be discussed by people. Yes, it's part of your PhD, um, but you know I think that people will find it a very interesting interview and mm. an interesting topic mm-hmm. uh, and i think he's right i think yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely and um he arrived with a bit of an entourage so billy mitchell was also there yeah um and he sat down for a moment mm-hmm. uh, just for a moment and until uh walter got going and then billy you know wandered off and started doing some other stuff but yeah. 
Yeah, super amazing for those guys to give us some of their time. Mm. He um he did say a story. So I, I stood as soon as I saw them come out of the car, I stood up to greet them, and um, <laughs> he. So they, they were just sharing stories, you know, being recognised, and I told them the story about um, Ron Atkinson being. Um, confronted in a motor registry and someone says, oh, you look like that Mr. Bean. And it's <laughs> like, well, actually, I'm the actor that plays Mr. Bean. The guy goes, no, you're not. And just disagrees. <laughs> nice. but, yeah, the same thing happened to them. They were at oh. uh, an event and this guy came up to both Walter and Billy Mitchell and said, you guys have really nailed it. Oh, the, you it was got like that a, cosplay down. Yeah, it was a cosplay. <laughs> oh, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, and then he said that he was... Um, yeah, Billy Mitchell said he was actually mistaken for um, John Wick. Yeah. What? So, yeah, someone said, yeah, you look exactly like that John Wick. And yeah. Hmm. They thought he was cosplaying someone else, not mm. him. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's yeah. some interesting people in the world. <laughs> yeah, there sure is. <laughs> yeah. There really is. And uh, yeah, one of the most interesting people I've met in a very long time is Walter Day. Mm. Um, and I think people will get the gist of that as they listen to this interview yeah 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 um just one short introduction as to what the topic is and i think it'll give some context as to why this interview is is so amazing for me so my um topic is the perpetual um religious experience of video games now and, and video game players now what i mean by religious experience does not mean dogmatic um religious attendance to a church or a specific type of faith rather it is the actual act of being part of this experience of playing a game to an unending um, level mm. you know why does tim mcfay want to stand at the nibbler machine for 52 hours to get a score only against himself mm. to keep bettering that. Mm -hmm. um, I find that fascinating. I think it goes across all boundaries of different games. And Walter has been around these type of players ever since the beginning um, mm. when Twin Galaxies was set up. Yep. Um, and that's why I chose him as um, the capstone, really, to my PhD um, topic. And if I was going to interview anyone, I always thought that um, it, it would be amazing for him to give some context to what he's seen over the decades of him in uh, the the retro gaming and classic arcade gaming uh, mm. community. Mm. And in saying that, did you ever think that you would actually be sitting down with Walter today and interviewing him in person? Uh, it was a dream, but I didn't think it would actually be physical. I, I, I'm quite dogged in the way that I actually seek out mm -hmm. the, the, the end that I'm after if yep. it's for something as important for this. So I would yep. make it happen no matter what. Mm. Um, and yeah, I would have gone to, to far greater ends than what I went to to get this interview. Mm. But this was quite easy because Walter was so forth, forthgiving and you know, mm. he's, he's just an amazing person. But yep. perhaps we should start? Yes. And then we can talk about it more because I'm, I'm interested to hear what you guys actually think about it. Cool. Let's do it. So just to start recording, I'm Ben Benassik, um, doing my PhD on the uh, religious um, experience of perpetual video gaming. Um, I'm here with Walter Day, uh, who's agreed to be interviewed. And thank you for your time, Walter. I really I'm honoured to be interviewed by you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're very well known 
in the retro game community um, and around the world. Uh, but I just want to uh, ask you a question about the beginning of why you started to get into video gaming. Uh, I know you were collecting uh, newspapers and um, business cards. What drew you to video gaming? What was that next step? Um, in 1969, in, in, in America, I was a part of what we call the hippie movement. So I started taking marijuana and LSD. And I did it for, mainly for happiness. Because, you know, people want to be happy. And it seems to be a basic tenet of everybody's psychology and just emotional structure that they want happiness. In fact, I realized, actually, I want a happiness more than anything. I want a happiness more than money. I want a happiness more than fame. I just wanted to be happy inside. And so I was taking drugs, hopefully that it would cause just happiness. It was just a general feel. But after some time of taking marijuana and drugs, it began to have a very deleterious effect on me. It began to cause psychological stuff, emotional trauma. I had constant headaches. I had constant backache. My stomach couldn't digest. My feet ached. I couldn't sleep properly. My eyes ached. All sorts of stuff began to go wrong because the stress and the impurities that I was imbibing through taking the drugs was having an effect on me that was kind of dire. And there was no, no happiness at that time. There was depression and actually a sense of grief. So, uh, so the drug process was not working out for me, except that while taking LSD, while living on the, on, a, on the middle fork of the Yuba River in California, which is the northern part of California, what they call the, the mother load area, Yuba, uh, Nevada County, near Nevada City, California, I suddenly had, which in, in, uh, in, in classic spiritual sciences, my kundalini went up. You're familiar with the kundalini? And I went out through my crown chakra and had the experience of the divine self that lies at the basis of everybody's existence and everybody's state of consciousness. So I had a glimpse of self-realization. And in that state of expanded, unbounded, and it's a level of unbounded that defies the world, word unbounded. The limitations of... We'll be in a bit. Twice? Two minutes. Okay. <laughs> I didn't understand his answer. He doesn't have any concept. That was just Richie. <laughs> so, Casually. So, so, so there was this there was, there's unbounded consciousness. And, and in that state of consciousness, a tremendous amount of information of genuine, pure, real knowledge automatically comes into you and you suddenly discuss you suddenly discover the greatest mystery of all who the self is and, and why the creation exists and what it's all about this is the experience that happens to especially now at this point in time in history is happening to hundreds of thousands of people all over the world even without the use of things like drugs because this is a very transformational time that's happening and what we'll call that self which is pure consciousness is being unfolded in many, many people's lives because there's a big transformation happening in the way. So mm. I had this orientation, and after it was over, and I settled down, 
uh, what happened and as the influence of the uh, as, as the kundalini you know stopped going up and the crown chakra closed down again I fell back into a state that was extremely stressed because the stress that was put in there from the drugs and also the stuff we bring in in our DNA from our family lineage because we carry we carry the stuff for many generations in our physiology that's directly affecting our consciousness. So that began to kind of like wear back down on me. It was like I was closing back down into the narrow, narrow confines of being a person who's not illuminated, not enlightened, not divinely unfolded. And to me, it was the most awesome slap in the face because I, because I realized that I had uncovered the secret that lies at the basis of why we exist and why did I have to get back down to the confined space. And I had the realization that I had to go do some practice that was going to unfold this and make this the permanent state of my awareness in my, you know, my, on, my, on my spiritual development. And that it couldn't be drugs because the drugs were ruining the nervous system. That was a tremendous stroke of positive karma that I had that realization and perspective because I had so many friends who continued taking drugs for years and it essentially destroyed their nervous systems. And one friend said to me, because he started TM with me, because I, I eventually I got a chance on about it. He says, I, I was so, he says, I regret so much that I didn't go and do what you did and go and become a teacher of transcendental meditation and continue to take drugs because it ruined my nervous system. But anyway, so that's my perspective. I'm very anti-drugs because they had a direct front row seat and seeing how drugs influence the nervous system and what was happening to all my friends back from what we'll call the hippie era. And this does lead up to something that applies to what we're going. But I hope you find the story interesting. Mm. So I went back home to Boston, because it's in California, to sell all my stuff, to go to India to find a master. And the, the whole idea is that there were masters who are part of traditions of knowing how to bring you through the process of unfolding all this and cleaning up your nervous system so that once again your kundalini will go up and you go after your crown chakra permanently and you will be what they call enlightened. Okay? So essentially I went there. My father was so upset when he found that it's going to go to India. This was the worst thing because you know how parents want success for their children and this was the completely opposite of what he thought would be a, a successful normal life. And from this point onward I was no longer a normal person which really disturbed my father. Because <laughs> he had been a World War II veteran who got who was a paratrooper who got wounded in the Battle of the Bulge against the Nazis during World War II. So he had a very worldly sense of uh, value and you know, destiny and stuff that he hoped for me. But at that moment, I went to a, I went to a meeting one night to see someone named Sri Chinmoy, who was a famous spiritualist who talked about higher states of consciousness. It was, and I was sitting on the steps of what was called a brownstone building on Beacon Street in downtown, you know, the east back, back bay of Boston. And Sri Chinmoy never showed up. But another person and I started talking about my experiences on LSD and how the Kundalini came up and I went out the crown shock and he says, yes, I know someone else who had that happen to them too. And he says, maybe you can continue to make that happen primly through LSD. But a better way is do you have your mantra yet? And I says, what's a mantra? and explained to me how there was an organization that taught something called transcendental meditation and that they guaranteed that in five to eight years they would bring you to unfold your pure consciousness and enlightenment. So I got all excited. The next day I shaved off my long hair 
my big beard, and I just looked like a baby face, and I showed up at the TM Center and walked in the door, and I said, with my eyes glowing, because I just stopped taking LSD two weeks earlier, you know, I came in and says, I'm here for a master. And they look up at me, they roll their eyes, and they say, no, you don't need a master. All you, all you have to do is practice transcendental meditation, just 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. And it fixes everything, balances everything, and it will unfold that pure consciousness that lies at the basis of your mind and existence and, and make a pure you know, enlightenment dawn. And so I started transcendental meditation. And what began to happen was so, so miraculous and so remarkable that I thought, my God, i got to do this. And I got to see how I can increase the results and happen even faster. But also, I wouldn't mind teaching this. So I actually went away and spent a lot of time, many years, again and again, with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, where he personally trained me to be a teacher of transcendental meditation. And, and in the course of all those years, um, life got better and better and better and happier and happier and happier and better and clearer and more intelligence, and more creativity, more energy, healthier, everything improved a lot. And it was quite remarkable because uh, the best way to explain how, how this all works is imagine the pond. Imagine if I drew a, a diagram of a pond with a straight line and then a wavy line here. And a bubble rises up from the bottom of the pond up to the surface of the pond. And as it rises up, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And on the surface of the pond, it pops as a bubble. And if you're in a rowboat on the surface, you can see the bubble, okay? But you can't see the bubble when it's at its earlier stages, the development, and, and the place where it originates in the soil at the bottom of the pond. So, people, when they hear I meditate, they say, oh, I meditate. There's tons of things out there people are doing right now, and they all lump it together and say, oh, I'm meditating. But none of them are doing transcendental meditation. They're doing things that usually involve either concentration or contemplation. When you're doing concentration, you're in a rowboat, and you drop an anchor, and you're at one place on the surface of the pond but you're still on the surface of the pond. And if you're doing a meditation based on contemplation, it means like you're thinking thoughts or analyzing truth or whatever. That's like rowing around on the surface of the pond. Rowing around on the surface of the pond, but you're still on the, pond, on the surface of the pond. Transcendental meditation uses a capability that's already automatically built into your nervous system that allows you to dive out of the rowboat and swim down to the depths of the pond, meeting those bubbles deeper and deeper. Because in other words, the analogy is that the mind works in the same way that pond does. That an impulse of thought will come from that place that they call the source of thought, which is pure consciousness, and rises up through the areas of the mind. And on the surface, where we're experiencing right now, you experience the thought, oh, I just thought of something. But that impulse of thought actually went through a big process coming from that source and rising up through the mind to reach the surface in the same way the bubble of gas will rise up through the pond and reach the surface. So they call this the bubble diagram to, to, to show the dynamics of how the thought process works. And right now, everybody's on the surface, but they only use a small percentage of their brain. And at the depths, there's all these processes that they're never open to, except with transcendental meditation, they are. And they directly dive down and experience the bubble of thought at the source from where it actually originates from. And it turns out that the place where it originates from is that place that I reached when I had that experience in the Kundalini and the shock and everything. And there at that place, it's the place where all your energy all along has been coming from. 
It's the place where all your intelligence, all along, has been coming from. The place where all your your creativity and all your happiness, the experience of divine happiness, the experience of joy. Like when you were a little kid, five or six or seven, most kids had a lot of happiness at some time in their life. Imagine the most happiness, just you, you so much happy, you just can't contain it, there's so much happiness, and things are so exciting. With that there, that sense, or that experience comes from that source, and that source is still there, and that source can be unfolded and opened up, and you can regain not only that level of happiness, but the ancient sages describe it as a place of unbounded, unbounded bliss. Bliss is happiness on a level that's so intense and so almost overshadowing that it completely fulfills the whole meaning and whole goal of life itself, just having that unfolded. So that money doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, surface little things don't mean anything anymore because you unfold that divine bliss that's deep inside. Now we've got to the part that applies to your particular thing. Because all the ancient principles just described what's by, called the ancient Vedas. The word Veda is ancient Sanskrit, or the language that's not really spoken by anybody anymore. And Veda means, well, there's been different interpretations, but it means divine light of truth. These birds are really outrageous. It means the divine light of truth and the correct information. And according to the ancient text of the Vedas, the nature of life is to expand and move to a state of more and more and more happiness. And when Maharishi would explain, this, explain it to us TM teachers, he'd say, it's just like a bumblebee. A bumblebee will flit from flower to flower to flower, but it's not doing it just to flit. It's doing it because it's trying to find more and more nectar, more and more nectar, more and more nectar, more and more nectar. So there's this, this, this divine, there's this movement to try and fulfill yourself and move to what they would say, a field of greater and greater happiness. Always moving forward, always wandering forward to a state of more and more and more and more happiness. Mm. And so that's why, and remember the analogy I used when we talked, you take a piece of paper and crumple it into a ball, you get real close and it's quiet and you listen, you'll hear that start crickling and crackling because what it's trying to do is unfold itself back to its normal state. So there's motion in creation that originates from an early, the, the, the earliest state of creation is supposed to be a ground state that scientists call the absolute because they don't know what else to call it. Mm. But it, mm. what it is is people who have that divine vision, it's the divine ocean, a divine ocean. Maharishi used to tell us TM teachers that it is so big that it goes on forever and ever and ever, defying all imagination or all confinement of concepts, that level of pure divine existence. And the part that's folded up and crunched into a ball that makes up the creation tries to go back to that original state and in the process of it uncrinkling like that piece of paper trying to reflatten itself back out that forward motion what happens to go in clockwise motion by the way mm -hmm. is the process of the uh, of, the, of that crumpled up part of the universe which is what we'll call the creation wanting to go back to the divine state of unboundedness and it is that forward motion that is the key dynamic energy that's behind everybody wanting to do more and achieve more and enjoy more and have more and more happiness and more and more happiness and more and more happiness and it is this basic spiritual principle which is completely in operation when a person is trying to fulfill themselves through either being a better father a better businessman uh, a better husband a better student or a better video game player 
So when a person is playing video games, that is just the superficial mask, just the skin they're wearing on top of these deep spiritual principles that are in operation of every single person all the time. Even bad people who do evil things, deep down inside, there's still this drive for happiness and but because of some twisted DNA or other bad karma they have or something, they're expressing it through things that are not positive and hurt other people. But deep down inside, they're still trying to fulfill themselves and be happy. And so that's that dynamic that's going on beneath them. So part of the structure of creation is a threefold thing. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But in ancient Sanskrit, according to the ancient Vedas, it's called Rishi Devatan Chandas. Have you ever heard of those? Yes. Rishi Devatan Chandas. Rishi is the father, Chandas is the son, and the Holy Ghost is the Devatan. And what that means is this. I, Walter Day, am experiencing Mark. In other words, the perceiver, the perceived, and the process of perceiving. Rishi Devatachandas. The I, the you, and the process of me seeing the you. I, Walter Day, the Rishi, see, which is the Devata, you, Ben. So this structure, is it's, it's all nested in its side, folded in all, all these incredible ways that makes the creation what it is. Because you know how you hear how everything's made in the image of God, and as is above, as below. There's this divine structure of threefold that twists all of itself in all sorts of ways to make all the different forms and all the different things that happen in the universe. And part of the part of this equation is the chandas part. And chandas means hidden. In other words, all the different things that according to the spiritual principles we're trying to pursue, meaning happiness, more happiness, more happiness, it gets covered up by the chandas so that you begin to think, oh, if I'm successful with video games, I'll be happy. If I'm successful as a father, or make money, or, or go on trips, I'll be happy. Well, what happens when they become more spiritually evolved, and that illusion gets pulled away, they find out that they were going after happiness itself. And only the illusion, temporary delusion on the surface was that, oh, it'll be the success in the video games, that will make me happy. Hmm. But that can be swept away with expanded consciousness, and they find out that it's the process of wanting to be happier. Do you see a similarity then between um, someone that does uh, I hope this action. is making sense to you, right? Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but you, so you see this similarity between how, um, you know, a, a person that's endeavoring on um, being a better person or uh, being a better father or being a better video gamer, there is some sort of mode which they're, they're putting upon themselves. So I, I want to take it back to your gaming um, experiences, your personal ones. So when uh, you, you held a couple of world records at a point mm -hmm. and you could have been in that um, famous photo uh, out the front of your arcade for Time magazine, um, did, when you were playing that game or games at the time and you're surrounded by people that are trying to push themselves further and further and further, did you find that there, there was um, that similar sort of experience that those players are, are, are getting where their attention is focused on the game only, you know, time is slowing down and there is this seeking. Okay, so the actual, so, the, so we're getting towards the actual experience of having the game experience 
be relative to a spiritual experience. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, I think this is the best way to experience it. Uh, I'd explain it. Well, first of all, for me, and I talked about this in some of my early writings, because I was a teacher of Transcendental Meditation, and I had seen in my own life the quality of my life improve a lot, remarkably, just amped up tremendously in every category of life. And the reason I say every category of life is because one of the ancient Vedic principles is that when you want to improve something in your life, you water the root. You put the fertilizer and the water at the root. What that means is when the plant gets the fertilizer and the water at the root, all the branches and all the stems and all the leaves and all the fruit, as diverse as they are from each, as, as diverse as they are from each other, all flourish at the same time. As opposed to putting a teaspoon of fertilizer on an individual leaf and water on an individual stem or something like that. So, so for me, I had seen all these improvements happen, and uh, and so I was impressed with the process of improvement and how it would express itself and manifest itself in increased excellence in action, which mm. is what you want to get towards. Mm. Increased excellence in action. Like, uh, so that's why I had this orientation already as part of my personal makeup. And so when I, when I, when I entered the realm of the video game world and I saw people excel at video game playing, I was impressed but not just impressed because they were getting high scores. I was impressed by the dynamic of them unfolding more and more potential and expressing it as greater, as greater and greater capability in doing high scores. Mm. So in other words, the high scores, the high score is going to be the marker to define how developed they were and how much further development is possible as shown by a high score. So that, to me, was the basic bedrock of my participation of competitive gaming, and I was intrigued by it. And so, for me personally, as I've said in past writings that you might have read, that I actually went on the road looking for, for, for in one case, the greatest Pac-Man player of all. And, uh, and I went from arcade to arcade to arcade, almost like a, almost like a, a, a typical movie you know, pilgrimage trying to find the, the highest master. But in this case, I was intrigued by finding the greatest Pac-Man master. So I actually went from arcade to arcade to arcade in the Southwest America, trying to track down alleged masters who could get three and 400,000 points on, on, on Pac-Man. And during the time, it was so innocent and natural for me to do this. I didn't realize what an outrageous adventure it was you know, to be doing this because no one else in the world was doing this. Hmm. You know? hmm. I was there all by myself doing this. And so I actually finally ended up at a final arcade in Sandy, Utah. Sandy, S-A-N-D-Y, Utah. And I found the place where allegedly these masters were. And when I came in, I started asking questions and everything. And I was an outsider. They all clammed up and he wouldn't tell me anything. So they, I was, it was like I was an outsider there to steal their ancient secrets or something like that. <laughs> so I got nowhere with it. So I just went away in frustration. But the thing is, is I actually went through the process of trying to track down. So it was my, so it was my variation on a person, uh, 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 on a seeker going on a pilgrimage to try and find higher knowledge and perfection as expressed in a person's capability to change their level of consciousness into a marker that's defined by a video game score. Isn't hmm. that interesting? Yeah, very. And so I went on that path. I don't think anybody ever did that. I don't know if anybody ever did that again. But I think they made a movie. It's called 
can't remember what it's called. Hollywood Zap. Hollywood Zap, where they allegedly went on to try and find the greatest saxophone player. But that movie came many, many years after I did this. So, so I was intrigued by excellence in action as being played out in terms of video game scores. And with that as my mindset, I already had the spiritual orientation towards video game expertise. And so it was a very, very small next step for me to become the official scorekeeper and having Twin Galaxies come into creation mm. and start documenting scores and whatever and, uh, you know, all over the world like that. So now, so I'm watching all these champions play and, and amazed and, and what's happening, what grows out of it now is a culture based around video game success as, you know, with Twin Galaxies being the, the you know, the... Uh, the crossroads of it, you know, and uh, and also a tradition of honoring this video game success with leaderboards and championships and contests, and then all the all the all the uh, the fame that goes with it, and all the media attention that goes with it, so that it was all set up and running. But all along, because of my past background, I realized that deep down inside, these kids are trying to find enlightenment. And that's why there's the drive. And that's the point for me. Almost that's the most basic principle of everything that I know and I've learned through my experience is that all along, no matter how that Chandas thing, that, 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 that outside Chandas, see this is, you've heard that this is supposed to be an illusion out here. Mm-hmm. And it is, I can assure you that. But that illusion will go in, it'll go and have all these different flavors. In other words, all these people have different reasons in their head why they're doing this, but it's always that drive towards going back to divine enlightenment because that's where the divine happiness is and everything like that. So essentially, all along, I'm realizing that these kids like to be enlightened and they're completely out of state of consciousness where they'll, maybe they'll never know that in this life and they're going to think that if they get the success of the high score, that'll be the fulfillment. They get the high score, next success. But what happens is once they get that high score, they have to have another one, another one, another one. And that's an important point for your thing. It's incessant. It doesn't stop. Mm. It doesn't stop because the score is not the goal, actually. In their mind, because of their level of consciousness, they think attaining that score and getting whatever peripheral fame or glory or whatever is, they think that that's the fulfillment of all. But no, their mind will move on to the next score and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing because it doesn't end. Because it doesn't end until you finally have divine spiritual enlightenment which is at the basis of everything, including their desires to have higher and higher scores. So you think I hope this all works for you. Guys. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you think that the um, the manifestation of trying to get to that perfection isn't a byproduct of the type of game, rather it is a byproduct of what that person's personal journey is. Oh yeah, and the, so well, first of all, uh, let me, let's see if I got have the right answer for that. First of all. First of all, there's 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 different rhythms. First of all, we're, we're, that Rishi Devaton Chandas manifests into five other things that sprout off it, and those are things that are called the doshas. And you've heard of Vada, Pitta, Kapha. Okay, Vada, Pitta, Kapha, and they have five sub doshas for each one. Sorry, couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. There is a turkey in the no background. Idea. I have no idea what that. It's a some type of a large bird. Yeah. 
Australia, the land of large birds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rishi Devachandas, they sprout out into these, these doshas, which is Vata Pitta Kapha. Pitta is like the fire element. Pitta is like the fire element. Vata is like the air element. And Kapha is like a combination of like earth and water or something like that. And a person might be really heavy and gains weight easy. They would have a Kapha imbalance. A person who's constantly fighting and angry and stuff like that, their face is red, they have a Pitta imbalance. And a person who's a, maybe a great, great computer genius or maybe the autistic level of computer genius, they may have like a, a Vata imbalance. But they all have subdoses too. Like for instance, Pitta. A Lochika Pitta is in the eyes. Buddhika Pitta is in the stomach. Uh, no, Buddhika Pitta is in the skin. Panchika Pitta is in the stomach. Ranjika Pitta is in the blood. And, um, and Sadaka Pitta is in the heart. And it's from the ancient word sadaka where the word sad comes from. When a person's sad, it means there's an imbalance in there, which causes the experience of grief and sadness. So all the people in the world who are getting depressed and they commit suicide, it's because this became imbalanced. And that can happen through a lot of different things. One of them is the way you eat. You can cause imbalances in all these things, and that's what, by the way you eat, or maybe if you're at a computer all the time and surrounded by lots of electrical stuff, the electrical stuff has a big effect on you, and it could mess up the booty pit or the brain, stuff like that. So all these things become imbalanced. But, but, they have a, the reason I brought this up is because they, the people come in with these tendencies. So a person will automatically gravitate to Robotron and have a Robotron strength that they wouldn't have like on Nibbler. Or they might have a Robotron strength that they wouldn't have on Star Wars and so forth. In other words, the games that they choose do not happen by accident. It's almost like water running down a gully. The water flows down the gully and just goes where the gully goes. Mm. So in other words, they automatically manifest traits and tendencies that are already, in a sense, hardwired in a sense. Not completely hardwired, because you can change it through transcendent. You can change your destiny and a lot of stuff that goes on inside you through something like transcendental meditation. Because mm. when you go into that deep state of consciousness, it purifies all the impurities that are draped and all over you. So they have these tendencies to, uh, to, uh, uh, to automatically gravitate to a certain kind of game style that will be a certain kind of speed, mm. you know, like Nibbler involves all these fast turns and stuff like mm. that. Robotron, Robotron involves the linkage that's inside your brain to be able to see the. You know Robotron very well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So now, when most people see Robotron, they see a throbbing mass of stuff going on the screen. That's almost inc that's literally incomprehensible to 95% of the people. It's just a mess, and there's no no way they can perceive, discern how to find their way through that mass of throbbing, convulsing stuff and actually get to the next screen. So they die. Mm -hmm. But for a person who has that specific linkage based on all these other things I've described, Rishi David Johnson, they're actually seeing it in a slower motion than you're seeing it, and for them it is self-evident and an easy fit for them to see the way out and to see what to shoot next and what to shoot next and what to shoot next. In American baseball, there's a famous baseball player, uh, many famous baseball players, who like, you even know what a baseball game looks mm -hmm. like in America. There's the outfielders, and some of them would have that kind of intuition that when they heard the crack of the ball off the bat, 
Somehow, at a deep level, their mind already knew where it was going, and they already took one or two steps in the right direction, mm -hmm. which was the difference to make them a great, great fielder as opposed to just maybe a good fielder because there's some deep inner thing. So there's all these principles that are in operation that are making the person gravitate to the games that they actually choose because it's part of the workings of their inner mind and their inner nervous system. And so, and when they're doing all this stuff, and they're fulfilling the nature of their nervous system, they will have, and I'm sure this is important to your thing, they will have an inner sense of balance, which will translate in their experience as an experience of some sort of spiritual expansion and experience settling down. Because remember the bubble diagram just described, as you go deeper and deeper into the bubble diagram, your transcendence, there's more silence there. In fact, when people, when people have the experience of the divine, they're astounded by how silent it is. It's literally the most expanded, silent thing in existence. And, and, so, and so what's so amazing, and what's so amazing is that when they have the experience through video game playing of some more refined state, it will be, it's like, it's like they say the zone. But, 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 but here are the component, here's the componentry of the zone. This is important. The componentry of the zone is that they become more silent inside, they become more expanded inside, all the stuff they're dealing with slows down a little bit more and more and more, and the amount that it slows down will depend on how much spiritual expansion and development they already have as their baseline of consciousness for this particular incarnation. And as you know, we all have a lot of incarnations, whether you believe it or not, it's true. Okay? And so, they're going to have that sense of silence, they're going to have that sense of settling down, that sense of expansiveness, and in that expansiveness, it's easier for them to see all the working parts they're dealing with and know what the next right move is. And when that happens, it's like they're on automatic because the, it's almost like the forces of nature take over and are doing for them. And that's what people report when they go down to the bottom of that bubble diagram and they start operating from there permanently, all the rest of the stuff starts happening in automatic and it's like they witness. Like when you get on a monorail train and the monorail goes on that path where it goes and you're just a passenger there. That's why so many spiritual writings throughout all of history say, I am just the chariot, I am, I am just the charioteer in the chariot. But the chair, like it's like the the vehicle is operating on its own, and they talk about being a divine witness, the experience of life, and they're sitting there, and everything happens around them without have without without them being engaged in the action of it. Now this is probably very, this is very very hard to explain or understand unless you actually have the experience. But there's a point in evolution, in spiritual development, when you reach that state, you start experiencing the world just doing it where you're sitting back in this expanded divine silent state where you're not active anymore and it's all happening by itself they call that cosmic consciousness so when a person has that kind of bias in the nervous system that they can get into what we traditionally have called the zone it means they've settled down below the surface of that bubble diagram and in that more subtle place it's more expanded it's more quiet it's more 
there's more energy there, there's more creativity, there's more intelligence there. And in that state, because of the expansion and the quietness and everything slowing down as an experience, they can see all the moving parts. And they don't intellectually, and 99.99% never know intellectually what's just happened. All they know is that they're in a state that tradition has been called the zone. And in that state, they have their greatest games ever and make their mark on gaming history. That's amazing. Um, but it all fits with everything else you've yeah, started. Yeah, it, it really, really does. And I know I've, I've jumped around with questions That's a little nice. bit. See, I've tried to, I've mm. tried to give you a schematic mm. of the spiritual experience mm. that the gamers have. Mm in reflection to what the basic baseline spiritual experience is that's existing for people, especially now in history, because this is a big moment in history. Lots of stuff's happening now, where more and more people are experiencing that state we call cosmic consciousness. And whether or not they're sitting there, whether or not they're sitting there writing in an office, and they go into that state of witnessing or the divine cosmic consciousness, or whether they're playing a video game, it's uh, still the same level of consciousness. But the thing that's so entertaining is about a video game is it's so dynamic. And that's what's so extraordinary about it because in the midst of the noise and clamor of the video game, that divine expanded silence is beginning to dawn. But because they're not truly enlightened, they only go a little bit down, but down enough that it becomes an experience that gives them more expansion, more silence, everything slower, and they perform better and turn it into a world-level score. How about that? Yeah. So do you, I guess the finishing off the questions on the video gaming, and then you can say anything else you like, you want to add to this, but um, do you think that there's any games that don't um, meet that criteria, or is it just up to each person? Like, is there a game for everyone, or is there a person for every game? Well, well, uh, uh, peop- well first of all, people will have in their nature a bias that will automatically make them feel comfortable with this kind of game, this style of game. Some people are more plotting, like Billy. Billy doesn't do Robotron. Billy does slow-moving, calculated things like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong, which which involve tremendous amount of meticulous detail, but not not real fast reaction time. Mm. He probably could do it, but that's not his bias. That's not his. That's not his style. So you can see what I'm getting at. Worse, someone else might be in. Into furious games that make you have to just jump out of your skin like Robotron, you know, because they have a different energy level and a different way that the body is expressing the energy in terms of action and then skill sets. So the skill sets are different because of deep. The skill sets are the skill set that they're expressing is not just a thing that's happening by accident. It's actually an expression of some really deep, different, deep spiritual development or maybe deep lack of spiritual development, you know, and. uh and so, uh, but there was another part I was going to answer there, but I think I lost the, the train of thought here. So, uh, so, 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 are the games are some games more spiritual, or some <coughs> games less spiritual? Yeah. I think that it's really the person that brings the spirituality to the table, more than the game itself. Yeah. But the game can be a trigger for that. Per- a game can be a trigger for that person's particular way that they're built. Like the person who get who goes the person who goes into the zone while playing Robotron, if they're playing Miss Pac-Man, it doesn't trigger off the zone for them. They bring their spiritual development to the table, 
and the game can be the trigger to unfold it or unmask it or bring it to the surface. And some games will work better for a person than other games. So that a person who's got, here's an interesting aside. One time a guy came up to me at a big show back in February of 1985. It was called the ASI Show in New Orleans. And, uh, and he operated big game, big arcades in Memphis, Tennessee, fun city. And he says, Mr. Day, I don't know what it is, but if I take a Miss Pac-Man game, if I put a Miss Pac-Man game and I put it in an area of town where white boys play it, it'll make very little money. But if I take that Miss Pac-Man game and put it over here where it's all black people coming into the store or something, it'll make a fortune. But if I take a Gallagher game and put it over where all the black people come in, it'll hardly make any money. But if you take that Gallagher game and put it over where the white boys come in and play, it'll make a ton. So in other words, there's deep, inner, built into the nervous system, stylizations. Hmm. That, 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 and that, that's, a, that's a very, that's a very rough-hewn kind of way of explaining it. You know, the black and the white and the yeah. Gallagher and the Miss Pac-Man. But that applies to deeper, more refined levels from every single person to the next. Some people automatically will like the colors, they'll like the lights, they'll like the speed of it, they'll like the sound of it. All these different features that come with the game are either going to find a comfortable home inside of them or not. And when the, and when the games match up like pieces of the puzzle and fit together, it's going to be a proving ground for them to be able to settle into that game and get the most out of it and get as close as they can to settling down into the state of the zone. So it's their spiritual evolution they bring to the table that's really the more important part, and then the game needs to match up with it. And then when that's the case, it'll allow them to settle down to a more refined level where that expansion and that clarity and that energy will manifest. Does that answer it? It does. Thank you, Walter. Um, I just wanted to, uh, I guess, record um, for prosperity because you know, this is going to be a podcast and um, it will hopefully survive. This will be interesting for people to listen to. I think yeah. it's going to be over a little bit of their heads, but I well, I think that it's it's sometimes important to ask deeper questions, and that's yeah. that's why I'm in this field. Yeah. Um, but I I wanted to say how much I appreciate how you respect all gamers at all different levels and you've oh, yeah. done that forever oh, yeah. um, and what you've done um, personally to, to video gaming and classic video gaming in particular um, it's really admirable um, particularly at this later stage in your life and like as, as a classic gamer as a gamer that plays um, games which aren't popular with with the mainstream um, I, I very much appreciate the efforts that you've taken and I, I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you I'm honored to be appreciated did you I'll uh, just back up entirely what you said and um, meeting you, Walter, has been, I would say, a life-changing moment. Um, oh, fascinating. It's That's just, great. Uh, the things that you're saying, they, they, they sound like obvious things um, mm-hmm. to me, but the way you articulate them sort of makes that larger and more understandable and something that you wouldn't necessarily think of before, but because you articulate it so well, it, it just sounds right. And, um, the reason this, the reason all this kind of stuff would resonate with you is because it's the time for this kind of stuff there because it's, it's like a rebirth there's a rebirth going on and uh, in, in, in the ancient Vedic wisdom they talk about the different periods of time they talk about the Sat Yuga the Treta Yuga you've heard of these from the Varva, and now we're in the Kali Yuga the Kali Yuga is the black age Kali's the black we're in what's called the, the Kali Yuga and during that time 
knowledge gets lost. And while it's lost, whatever's left around gets turned into a big mess. And that's what's going on right now. It's a big mess, but no, but that's what's ending. Because there's a, there's a Sat Yuga that's growing literally right now that's actually supposed to go... It, it, it supposedly it really starts churning and becomes quite an adventure everybody starting soon starting soon in 2020 and it's going to get so nuts that you won't believe it but they say by 2024 it'll be very clear to even the most gross person that wow this is a good time now in other words a golden age is supposed to be coming but all sorts of saints and all sorts of sages and all sorts of people from all sorts of different traditions or predicting and recognizing that big medicine's happening right now and that's why this would resonate so well with you because even though I probably brought out different kind of intellectual ways of configuring it for you it just makes sense mm. right down to the bottom of your soul it just mm. makes sense mm. and, uh, and that's because of the way the, everything's just unfolding mm. the Sat Yuga SAT the golden age is coming back right now mm. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Well, thank you for your time, Walter. Um, yeah, thank you. Did we not cover anything? I think uh, we no, no, I think we've we've done everything over and above, and you've been really generous with your time. Well, I know you. you want to go see some koalas, um, and you know, all the other native animals. That are, yeah, I so. want to get I want to get the high score on koala hunt. <laughs> koala hunt, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you come to the right place. Ah, uh, there we have it. The yeah. interview with Walter, which was. Incredible. Uh, and as we were talking, as we are doing the intro for this episode, I kind of started having that uh, just feeling of people listening to this and us talking glowingly about Walter Day hmm. would probably sound weird because, um, you know, Walter Day is known to be a really nice person and yep. so on and so forth. But if your only experience of Walter Day is, say, King of Kong documentary... Or, you know, some of the things that are out there in popular media about Walter Day, mm. you might think he's a little strange or, you know, he's been pitched as being a little strange and why are we being so glowing about this man that, you know, I don't know, he, he made a life about video games. You know, what's, what's so great about that? Yeah. And I guess I sort of felt that way as well until I met the man. Hmm. He's absolutely amazing. Hmm. He's just incredibly warm, incredibly genuine. I think we said this in the previous Game of System podcast episode because um, we did meet him for the first time before this interview. And yeah, he just comes across that way. Yeah. And so it's very easy to be glowing of someone like that. Hmm. It was just absolutely amazing. Besides the things he talks about, which are also incredibly engaging yeah. and interesting. Uh, and I think we, we come to that in a moment, but the, the personalized aspect, and yeah, we, so we did speak about how, um, and I mentioned it, how you engaged with a, a young girl at the, um, uh, the, the Kong off. Mm. Um, but what I found interesting, um, was how he, he noticed Evan, um, and, and Dennis and said, you know, oh, yeah, these guys, and then started talking about their personal lives. Mm. Um, I had the same thing where I went up to him and said, I oh, Ben Benassik. he goes oh you're Ben oh and then like says hang on we need to talk and he grabs me by the arm and we go outside and then he starts talking to me about my PhD topic hmm. about what, what I'm studying and 
what he finds interesting about that mm. and then wanted to know what I was thinking and what, what I actually mean by the terms that I'm using. Because, you know, obviously I've, I've asked him just to be interviewed as part of a process and it takes a while. The, the dissertation is going to be, I don't know, 150,000, 200,000 words. It's a mm. book mm. I'm writing on the thing. Mm. So it's quite a lot. And he wanted to know what, what were the concepts. And then when I spoke to him about that, he goes, yeah, got it. I totally understand mm. what you're trying to do. Understand what you're writing about. Um, this is my perspective. I want to talk about um, the yogis that I've learned from and transcendental meditation, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it was just phenomenal that he's mm. taken that minute and he said, "Look, you know, Congo Sun at the moment is probably not the right place to do this, um, but over the next ten days we will organise something." Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was was left to what it was. Now. Um, behind the scenes, there's been a number of people that actually helped make this interview happen. Yeah. Um, so Jimmy Nails is is yep. one of those people, and somehow connected to um, yeah Walter's people, and and mm. you know had made this happen, uh, and also John Tannehill, um, mm. and both of them have been really really supportive of this whole process. Um, John's actually uh, was interviewed by me as well. Hmm. Um, so he's part of the, the study, um, uh, you know, particularly with his Space Invaders record. So, yeah. uh, and there are eight other people as well, which are being interviewed as part of this, this study. And I'm, I'm so grateful that hmm. everyone's done this, but those two in particular in helping me, uh, sit down with Walter Day. Hmm. And then you guys actually for being there as well, um, having the backup recording. Cause, okay, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm dogged in, in trying to get things, but I'm also paranoid about technology failing. Mm. So we had two recording devices yeah. on the table for yeah. the entire time. Um, and then we've just gone through the last hour of looking at which audio was the best of those yeah. two. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted this to be perfect mm. um, and I want it to be captured and I want it to be out there in the community because Walter has got a very unique perspective about yeah. um, gaming in particular. And where, what is intrinsic about the human person? Hmm. Um, and that's more of the warp zone side of things rather than yeah. the, the game, the system side. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that it's crossing over the boundary of, of video gaming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah and uh, I just have to say thanks so much to you, Ben, for involving uh, myself and Matt in this whole process because uh, it was... An amazing moment. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. And I know I've said that many times now, but it really was. Mm. You know, I'm not just saying that as trying to be nice to a person who gave us a lot of time and, and nice to you for, you know, involving us and so forth. But it was just an amazing moment. Mm. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. It's okay. It's my mm. pleasure. I needed other people there to say it actually really happened because mm. it's, yeah. <laughs> it seems unbelievable. Yeah, and um, hopefully, hopefully, um, the way we're talking about Walter as just a great person, hopefully that comes through on the interview as well mm, mm. Um, for people who are listening to this mm. and can also understand why he's just a just a great man. Mm, mm. Um, so hopefully that came across, but maybe you need to talk to the guy in person to really get the full Walter Day experience, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. Mm. So. As outsiders, and um, uh, I know we spoke over the last couple of days about what um, my, my topic's actually about, and mm. I, I said to you both that, look, Walter's 
interview, it will probably blow your minds. It's mm-hmm. going to be absolutely out of this world because I've heard a lot of the stuff he talks about and I've read a lot of the things that he's written and mm-hmm. seen a lot of the stuff which he actually studies. And plus, I've got, you know, theology degree and philosophy degree. And this, I am a part-time academic, so mm-hmm. I teach this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I, I am an understanding of what he's talking about and, and people that have these beliefs. Mm. Um, did you find it surprising, confronting? Um, Speaking for myself, and, and Matt can um, yeah, jump in, uh, I didn't find it either of those things. I didn't find it surprising or confronting. Um, and I don't know if this made it into the interview that we're releasing on the podcast, but I actually said to Walter that well, I was struggling to articulate what I was feeling, um, but the way I think I described it was that these things, they sound obvious, but the way that Walter Day articulates it um, really sort of contextualizes the whole thing and makes it understandable in a way that, yeah, it, it's hard to... Hard to verbalise what I'm trying to say, but it's it just felt right hmm. what he was saying. Um, like you know, with talk- his examples, you mean? And like yeah, the, the and bubbles. And- yeah, yeah, exactly. Using lots of examples hmm. and um, and talking about you know he's got that side of things, um, hmm. but then the game how that uh, contextualises with the gaming side of things. So the people who go for these high school records and so forth. You know, they go into the zone and, you know, this is why and this is what this means. And um, that that is what I mean by I know all of that stuff. Mm. I know that happens. Mm. Um, but the way he articulates that really takes you on that journey and makes you understand why, how and what it can mean. Yeah. Yeah. And why uh, it, it can, it pushes people to those boundaries and why they keep pushing those mm. boundaries. They don't just stop once they've done it, mm. generally. Some mm. people do. Like I think Tim McVeigh, once he got that Nimbler record, he didn't want to do anything else. But a lot of people do that thing and then they go, well, okay, now what's next? Mm. And they do it again. And, and Walter talks about that in the interview, how people want to have that happiness. And by trying to achieve that happiness, they don't find the happiness by getting the high score. Mm. So they try something else. They push again and they push again and they push again. So, yeah, very, very fascinating. Yeah. Well, Tim, Tim actually, so go back a couple of steps, Tim actually keeps, did return as well. This is the funny thing with a lot of these yeah. records and the mm. stories. The stories mm. often end where the high score is achieved and then we, we lose contact or, or traction with that person. Um, and I find it interesting in talking to people like John Tannehill, who says, um, you know, uh, yeah, I got that record. I wanted to go for that record. And so that's what I've achieved. Hmm. And that was it. It wasn't a great game to play. I didn't think I was going to play that long. Hmm. I actually was really hungry because I was hmm. going to make food. And then I was actually on a really good run. Mm-hmm. So I kept going. And then I was pleased with the end of it because it ended. He hmm. wanted it to end. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm. fast forward a couple of months later, he's playing again. Ah. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So he still has the occasional game. Hmm. And mm. so it's a constant thing. Mm. Um, yourself, you have a record mm. in, you know, 
Um, ghouls and ghosts. Hey, you got it right. Yeah, night ghosts and goblins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, not ghosts and, and ghastlies. Ghoulies. Or ghoulies and yeah. grab, grabbed by the ghoulie ghastlies. Yes. Yes. Oh. Mm. Um, you have a record in um, Have you... And you return to it. You yeah. Speed run now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. You've mm. got this world record, which was held for how long? Uh, I don't remember. Quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. And you smashed it. Mm. Absolutely smashed it. Mm. Um, to the point of physical exhaustion, I've heard you talk about this. Yes. Year. And then you have returned to the mm. game. And so, I returned very quickly. Yeah. As in, I d- didn't really stop playing. I just changed the way I played. Yeah. So as opposed to doing the marathon high score run, I'm doing speed running, which is very different because you're trying to finish as fast as possible not as mm-hmm. long as possible mm-hmm. so it's almost completely different ends of the spectrum yeah yeah um so there there might be something to what walter is saying that there is the game for everybody and that's mm. what i like what he was talking about about yeah. that yeah and i'm trying to bring that out in my phd by having such a variety of games which i'm studying so i'm looking at players of world of warcraft um to players of um, you know, arcade classic games, mm-hmm. um, Stardew Valley, which is different, um, was going to be Final Fantasy VII, but they keep delaying the mm. bloody remake, so right. that's a bit frustrating. <laughs> so, um, yeah, adversity happens to PhD topics all the time. Mm. This is a normal thing. This right. is, yeah. um, you know, so maybe there, yeah, there must be something to this that, um, mm. there, there is a game for everybody, even Mario Ball. There Even must Mario be Ball. a person for yep. it. Yep. Someone. Yep. Mm. Someone who's just built that way yep. to like that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's unlikely. Mm. Mm. It, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Universe. Yeah. This is Jeff Goldman. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos theory. Something's um, going to happen. Matt, mm-hmm. did you have anything you wanted to say about uh, the interview with Walter? Or? Well, I guess the most, probably was the most interesting bit. Are you kind of touching on just then yeah like why people gravitate his perspective on why people go to particular games mm. why people are skilled at particular games mm-hmm. yeah and his example of why billy mitchell goes for the methodical mm. yeah uh, things where yeah. you know Rather someone else to go to stuff. yeah like a robotron mm. yeah 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 i found that really fascinating as well because it just again it sounds right mm. i yeah. mean because <clears throat> Seems obvious, but you don't well, think about it until someone explains it. Well, it's a way to explain it, as opposed to what maybe I would have... You just take for granted people like different things, or people yeah. are skilled at different things. Yeah. Not yeah. really looking into why. Yeah. 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 Mm. So it was amazing. Oh, I'm glad you both thought so. Mm. Yeah, it was fun. It was mm. a lot of fun to do it with you guys. Um, mm. And, yeah, a lot of fun to talk to Walter. Um, just about something that he's, he's clearly very, very passionate about. Yeah. Um, and he's made that next step. So that... that uh, what How he's talking about that experience of people unlocking this element, that's, that is really unique. You know, mm. this is... Um, I've been studying this for quite a while, trying mm. to search for thinkers that are talking about this. Mm-hmm. There are very few that explicitly say it in relation to gaming, like he's just done. Yep. There are some like on the periphery that sort of touch upon it, mm. um, like Flow State with um, Jinsing's Mihaly. Um, and, but generally, 
thinkers don't don't write about this, and this is what mm. my topic is trying actually to um, to cover this this area, which I think is is understudied. Mm. It looks at gaming in a completely different perspective. Um, my whole purpose is not to try and justify gaming to the world. I don't think we need to do that. No, there is going to be naysayers, and there's going to be you know these these alt right people that just blame any aspect on negativity about you know gun violence or whatever mm-hmm. on on anything else except for gun yeah, violence right. in the US yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, video games is an easy target. So mm. I think that's a very old trope. It's a very old type of argument. To yeah. No, it's positive. I'll show you why it's positive and here's the thing. Mm-hmm. My thesis isn't really about that and I don't need it to be. My thesis is trying to show what is intrinsic about the human person. Hmm and what is going on with that. And that's why my thesis is not part of um, video game studies or cultural studies in the university space. Mm-hmm. It's in the relig- religious studies department at Sydney University. Mm-hmm. And I'm a proud member of the theology department at ACU and philosophy at Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can look at the world in this way, and video games is part of that, mm-hmm. um, as, as explaining something Perhaps that we have in common as humans. Yeah. Um, and it might go beyond dogma. Hmm. Um, and that's my hope, that there will be some sort of understanding hmm. uh, of each other after this. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say awesome, but I've said awesome too many times, so I was at a loss for words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, yes, yeah. It's it's been. It's only Monday. It is. I mean, we're here for another. <laughs> it's another seven days. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know how that can be topped. Mm. But it's only Monday, and so many amazing things have been going on. And like I said, that I don't think this interview can be topped by anything that's going to come. But it's there's a lot of awesome stuff happening at this event. So, and that was one of them. Yeah, um, if I can plug, so Warp Zone, we have a podcast, um, so it's uh, Tara Smith and myself, uh, we talk about religion, politics, gaming, sci-fi, and everything else to do. you got to do, do the Tara, thing. you need to do the <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, so um, uh, the plan is, um, uh, like the switching <clears throat> of the keys on a nuclear submarine, we will be releasing both this podcast of Game the System and Warp Zone at exactly the same moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, to we'll see which uh, podcast provider gets it up for, uh, first. Mm-hmm. Oh, it'll be a we race. We can't control that. Yeah. 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 It's going to be like a race to here, but then we mm. all ended up arriving here at the same time anyway. Mm. Um, but you're going to put uh, the Warp Zone spin on your. Yeah. So things. Tara and I. So Tara at the moment is at the gym listening to this recording um the interview the interview recording and we'll be talking about it um tomorrow which will be the day after uh the interview took place so Mm -hmm. this will be released on tuesday as will the warp zone Mm -hmm. um so ben in the future will be talking about this interview that ben in the past did cool Mm. Mm. multi-ben multi-ben it's multi-benverse just what everyone needs more Ben. oh yeah 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 Yeah. cool Mm. So I think 
Is that it? Do we have anything else to say? No. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Uh, I can be contacted on. <laughs> can you? Yes, on Where Twitter. Where can you? Oh. Uh, at Ben Manasic. Uh, also, yeah, Warpzone, and we have a Discord and a Facebook thing and stuff. It just have a look at Warpzone, you'll find us. Google mm. me. Mm-hmm. Actually, don't Google me. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. No. Now that you warned me. Mm. Uh, yeah, but Game the System, we're out there everywhere. Our podcast, um, you can search us on all of the social medias. I think we're on all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the website and so forth and so on. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. And we will see the readers in a, in a future episode. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how to close this out because, you know, yeah. it, it's difficult because it's lost for words because it's just so great. Mm. But, yeah. There you go. Done. Finish. Just do it with the... Ah, yeah. Now. And it will. Bye. Now. Bye. Bye. Banana. <laughs> <laughs>